This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station. Shall we begin? Gan 89.9, you're listening to Popcorn Culture with Lynn Sharmila and Arvin, and it's an all local film week this week because yesterday we reviewed Stone Turtle, and today we're talking about something that's actually out in the cinemas at the moment. It is Hungry Ghost Diner, directed by Cho Wee Jun. Coincidentally, actually, two local films that deal with supernatural themes and what's real and what's not. Um, it's It's been a good week, actually. I'm really glad that um, I got to catch Hungry Ghost Diner because it was such a... I mean, it's firstly, it's got ghost in the title. Um, it, if you've seen the trailer, if you've seen the posters, it's no secret that it actually is about ghosts. But it's not that kind of movie. It actually left me feeling very... Um, I don't know, it's just such a sweet experience to watch this film. It, it has a little bit of sadness, a little bit of um, drama, and it's quite funny. Um, I enjoyed this movie a lot. And that's such an important thing to emphasize, right? Like for anyone who doesn't like horror, um, don't let that be the deciding factor that keeps you from watching Hungry Ghost Diner. Because like, yes, there are some scary elements and it deals with a difficult subject and there are some uneasy some un- uneasy shots here and there, I guess. But it's really a, a drama and a very warm story about family and love told through a slightly scary lens. Um, I, I saw the producers call it uh, an urban fantasy and I think that's perfect, right? Mm. It, it's, it, it is an urban fantasy. Um, and, and I guess, like, you know, there's so much more drama and comedy here and it's really worth giving a shot. It's such a well-made movie. It is well-made. Um, I, I think urban fantasy is such a nice way to describe it, partly because it also makes sense of the settings, which are recognisably parts of, of uh, the city or parts of the state that you would know, but at the same time look completely different and, and are done differently in like a purposeful way. You are meant to look at them and go, is this really a sales gallery? <laughs> like, where are we exactly? You know, so I, I do like that. Uh, before I get into how I felt about the movie, because I, I had, I, I think I loved it, uh, just to say. And also, I think I would emphasize the comedy part because I laughed quite a bit. I mean, I thought it was very sweet. Yeah. I wiped away a tear once or twice, but also it's just really funny. Um, Hungry Ghost Diner is the story of a young girl who's seen, a young woman um, whose mother passes away at when she's a girl and who you start to recognize early on has a relationship with... Um, with ghosts, right? Seems to be able to see them, seems to be able to notice them. Um, And anyway, it starts off with her running a business or trying to run a food business 
which is a sort of credit, uh, sorry, which is a sort of tribute to her family business um, back in her hometown, Hungry Ghost Diner. Uh, but through a series of events, because she's visited by her uncle, she makes her way back to her hometown only to be trapped there because of MCO roadblocks, which is a real flashback. And then she finds that being trapped in her hometown during Hungry Ghost Festival comes with hauntings of its own. Yes, um, and and really, there is there are sort of two stories here, right? There's one which is the a much more commonly told story: small town girl goes to the big city, tries to make it on her own, realizes that maybe true happiness lies back home. Um, that in itself is actually quite sweet because we maybe don't see that being told enough in a Malaysian context, particularly maybe not in this way of um, the contrast between KL and uh, a small town like Beirang Station, which is where the story is set. But I think then on another level, though, there is a real story of not just grief, um, which this movie is drenched in, but grief and what that does to families because the the key thing in the movie is the relationship between her and her father who both have been struggling with the loss of her mother in different ways over the years and instead of it being a shared grief it sort of kept them apart and and I liked how the movie contends with that and and just to say not in a overly heavy way um, because it is funny um, but it was also tough sometimes and I also like um, stories that are set during the pandemic. Like you mentioned pandemic, right, Lynn? Um, that are not about the pandemic per se. Uh, because it's such a weird time. It was such a weird time the last three years. Um, and sometimes I ask, like, where the time went, like it was a dream or something. And then for some reason, like having that in the background of this movie just added to the tone of this movie. Um, because it is about, like, family and, and there's also stuff about social distancing and restricted travel and movement, right? So... I don't know, just, just something about the, the idea of having that play into the themes of this movie. I felt they just gelled so well together. So Hungry Ghost Diner for me is culturally very close um, in a way that I hadn't necessarily expected because I knew that it would revolve around the Hungry Ghost Festival, which of course I'm familiar with. Um, I, I recognised, I mean... I've eaten in many a coffee shop in my day. So it was just, you know, I knew that there would be things that I recognize culturally. But it's also a story about um, a Hakka family. And so I didn't expect to hear the Hakka dialect um, in in a theater. And that was a real thrill to see the food um, and to look at rituals, funer funereal rituals, um, things like that, that I recognized and also to recognize the film as kind of highlighting and celebrating these things because we've already said it's well made. But I think when you look at the ways in which the rituals and the food, in fact, are shot, um, they're shot in a way that feels very... Uh, very much like they're supposed to be centre stage. You know, when, when you're attending a, a ritual and there's somebody there kind of performing it, it's shot in a very cinematic way. I have two things to say. One more basic as somebody who just loves food. Um, this is one of those great movies that makes you want to eat all of the things they show you in the movie. Um, it, it, it places food at such an important 
ritualistic but also emotional center. Um, I love that. But even the the gluten free uh, that one no <laughs> clearly no one was meant to want that. <laughs> so. That's mincemeat rice. Yeah, I, I don't know who I she's know. trying to sell on that. <laughs> like so that part no clearly nobody nobody wanted to go buy that particular dish. Um, but on on the other hand though the the larger point it's making about how food connects people and how food is something that you pass on and food is uh, emotional. Um, food is how you show love. Yes, yeah. yes. And it's such an Asian thing, right? Um, and then there's that layer of even the title, um, hunger, uh, but also not just hunger, like literal hunger for food, but like the emotional hunger that so many of the characters in the movie um, are obviously facing. I, I thought that the way all of this comes together was lovely. Um, I also really love the way it foregrounds the rituals of the Hungry Ghost Festival, which being Malaysian, I've sort of seen um, in public spaces, but I never got to see it the intimate way that this movie shows it to you. Um, they use puppetry, they use actual performances. Um, I loved it. And also the the movie is just visually satisfying. Like, you know, like some of the colours, the lighting. I love uh, the, the pink the... neon wash over everything. Yeah. It's beautiful. The, the, the pink, the purple hues from the food truck, uh, the reds from the lanterns. There's this one scene, right? Um, it's not a spoiler. Like like Bonnie opens the, the Kopitiam doors and all you see is red from like dozens of lanterns outside. So it's like complete pitch black sky and all you see is like lanterns lighting up the place. Um, there's another scene, I think, when she's entering a temple um, and her eyes are like glossy and, and weirdly blue, like like uh, opposite color to what's uh, around her, like a coal color. Um, the way the fire is shot, like it, it works so well to show like places and people, but just as like a visual thing, it, it's so fun to look at. It, it, it's very, very, very nice. It is. Uh, and also, sorry, just to go back to the urban fantasy thing, a lot of this film is set in a small town. Mm. And I think yes. I really loved the way the small town was shot um, and that it wasn't seen as in any way or form uh, dingy. I, I think the, the overall effect was that it was done very lovingly, uh, which is something both, I liked. It looks both familiar, like a familiar Malaysian small town, but also like an amazing setting for a film. And I thought that was a neat trick. And they didn't, they, they didn't make it look creepy, the small town, mm. for mm. the sake of horror. The town looks warm. It looks like a, a small town that you'd want to go on a road trip to, that, that kind of a small town. So we are talking today about Hungry Ghost Diner, which is out in cinemas at the moment. We all love, we all would recommend. Let us know if you've watched it or you plan to. You can WhatsApp 018-789-8899 and tweet us at BFM Radio. Breakfast for Masters, BFM 89.9. Akio Hoytang, what is wrong? Can you tap now? Funko. Akio will pay me. Get it, Joe. I'm not going to get it. I'm not going to get it. I'm not going to get it. Advance notice, you're not going to get it. What's that? What's that? What's that? What's that? Sempadan sudah tutup, Selangor dengan KL, semua kena lockdown. BFM 89.9, you're listening to Popcorn Culture with Lynn, Sharmila and Arvin and we're reviewing Hungry Ghost Diner, which was directed by Cho Wee Jun, written by uh, also Cho Wee Jun, Sebastian Ng and Jackie Yap. And I'd like to talk about the acting because we've heard a few um, voices already pop up. Bonnie, our central character, is played by Chen Ket Yok. Um, her father, 
Bobby, <laughs> which you find out halfway through the movie suddenly, hey, Bobby. Um, Bobby is played by Eric Chen. Her uncle, Akiu, is played by Sam Chong. And there are many other people um, in the cast. And I, I think that yesterday we spoke about a smaller, tighter cast, right, where it's two people really kind of pulling the whole thing together. I think in this movie, um, Chen Get Yok is clearly sort of really carrying the film, but there are lots and lots of other good scene-stealing performances that creep in along the way. Yeah, um, I mean, I I think it, it's a stretch to call this an ensemble cast, but I think, though, that people are given their moments to shine and they do that really well. Um, I will say that I absolutely loved Eric Chen as, as Bobby, the father. Um, he's so, it's such a, brittle performance, I thought. Like, someone who's simultaneously uh, reserved, uh, maybe even difficult, but at the same time um, extremely likable, and you empathise with him so much. Um, I also very much enjoyed Sam Jong as the uncle, who's in many ways the opposite of that father figure. Um, I thought the main cast all did such a good job. Um, and I think that balance, again, between being funny and also being able to hit the sad notes. Uh, they all did it really well. Um, to go back to what Arvin was saying about everyone wearing masks and, and the fact that it's set during the pandemic, um, I also think that it's very difficult to be able to act while having half your face covered. And I was really impressed at how well they all managed. In fact, it almost added to the performance. Can I also uh, shout out on the side, shout out Fabian Liu, who plays Kit, um, who has just like the weakest scheme in the movie, you know, <laughs> just just a schemer through and through. It in means a small, one monologue. <laughs> one monologue. Do you not want to go to Galleria Gourmand? The Gourmand. The Gourmand. Oh, that pitch is, is <laughs> like you know. Let's set up like thirty thousand or whatever he was asking for. Here, the, like his office is so cute. He has a one desk in the middle of nowhere in he an empty building. There. <laughs> he sleeps there. Um, but yeah, just the, the 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 comedy, and he also has a dance number. I won't say where, but he has a dance number. Um, so love the love the performances, and I think the performances being so natural uh, made the movie feel natural. Uh, just goes without saying. But everyone. I, I obviously don't understand the language, but to me, it sounded natural enough. Um, so actually, if you're going to shout out Fabian Liu, then I want to shout out Rabbit Chen, who I thought was also just um, such a funny presence and, and warm. It felt like somebody that you did know from a hometown. You know, it, it absolutely yeah. had that vibe. Oh, he was lovely. Um, he, I don't really want to give away the scene, but for me, he had one of the best scenes in the film. Can I say that my favorite thing about uh, Hungry Ghost Diner is how they draw such a poignant line between what is scary and what is uh, sentimental. Um, and again, just don't want to spoil, but it's in the poster and the trailer. Uh, when Bonnie's grandparents first show up in the, the Kopitiam, they are not projected as weird or scary or ghoulish in any way, which they could have easily done for the sake of horror, right? Um, and I like that the movie keeps something sacred, like loving grandparents are sacred. And even though they do show up as, as ghosts, uh, there is a coziness and a warmth and a love in the scene that happens right after. And that, that takes place like throughout the movie. And I thought that was like a very hard thing to do because a lot of it is morbid and, and scary and, uh, you know, it deals with mortality and that has a stigma, right? Um, so I thought that was well done. Just just drawing that line and balancing between like what is what is love, lovely and warm and cozy and what is supposed to be a bit scary and suspenseful. I felt that way actually when there's a scene in a graveyard and somebody approaches somebody else. Mm, and yes. <laughs> in theory, <laughs> in theory, you should know 
who that person is who's behind you. But like every good Malaysian, you don't turn around because we all know the rules. If if somebody approaches you sounding like someone you know, but they're not supposed to be there mm-hmm. and they call your name, the last thing you do yes. is turn around. And I was we've just like... We've seen the movies. We've all seen the we've movies. We've all seen the movies. We've all read the books. Everybody knows them rules. So I was just pleased to, to watch that. And then I think it's that, that thing, right? Of like respecting ghost stories in some sense, but also recognizing that if the ghosts are the people you love, then what's so scary? And in fact, somebody actually yeah. outright says that in the film. Yes, um, I loved how it flips the trope of quote-unquote ghosts on its head, um, particularly what Hungry Ghost Month is supposed to be, right? Because um, not being of Chinese background, you hear a lot of stories about Hungry Ghost Month or don't stay out too late on the month because, you know, the fabric of reality is thinner or whatever. Um, How dare you, whatever. (laughs) I'm just saying, you grow up being told these sorts of literal ghost stories. um, And then you watch this movie that actually asks that question of, well, perhaps this is an opportunity for you to make amends, maybe, or to mend relationships. And there was something very sweet about that. I also liked how the actual rituals, um, while OTT in some ways uh, can often seem sort of outlandish, uh, it was shot with so much love and respect and um a real sense of wanting to honour and celebrate what this tradition is rather than to just make a spectacle out of it. It's still made for great cinema, though. It looked beautiful. Which is such a opposite perspective, right? Because a lot of this is uh, taboo. Like, you know, especially like one Asian cultures, but then Malaysian cultures. A lot of mm. it, you have your pantangs, you have you can and cannot do. But the way they show certain things, like everything, I think everything was taken with, not to sound like too sappy or anything, but everything was taken with, like an ounce of like love, like care for certain things, right? Um, and also, also my favorite scene takes place inside a a bus or van or like a yes. minibus. Mm. I don't know what that thing is, <laughs> but everything about that scene looked and sounded, and the music and the score and the why of why that is happening. Oof, like perfect. Love that scene. So um, I mentioned the language early on and the film kind of has, uh, of course, smatterings of Malay, but broadly Mm. it is primarily in Cantonese and Hakka. And they swap back and forth between the dialects depending on who's speaking to whom and why they're speaking to that person. And I don't think you need to recognise that that's happening uh, in order to appreciate the movie. But for the people who do, um, and for the people who I think grew up in Uh, in families where this would happen, where people who are older than you would change languages depending on if you're being admonished or loved or maybe a mixture of both. Um, I thought that that was a really nice touch in terms of the script and the writing. Can I just say, though, that as someone who doesn't understand and therefore had to rely on the subtitles, I feel like the subtitles didn't always work. I'm not sure that Arvo was the best way to translate afternoon in this context. Um, there's a scene with a Malay song where straight up the subtitles were not what the song was. So I'm not sure what happened with the subs. Um, I do think that perhaps it is important to get them better when you're trying to appeal to an audience that may not speak the language of the film. Yeah. And, and... Isn't it also weird how you're listening to it in one language, but then you can switch between the subtitles and still 
not have any gap in that that transition. Like sometimes I would read the BM subtitles and then sometimes I'm reading the English subtitles and then I realize that I'm switching without even knowing that I'm switching, but the message doesn't change. <laughs> then I'm like, wow, this is the most Malaysian thing that I've experienced in a very long time, like sitting and watching this movie. Like you don't know. It's like half, it's 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 a whole roja in your mind. Yes. But to you, it just it just makes sense. Yeah, that's why. So I stopped relying on subs halfway through because I was like, it's fine. I, I, can, <laughs> I can understand this. I'll just go through with it. But but yeah, all of which to say, uh, Hungry Ghost Diner was, we all recommend. Yes. I would definitely recommend. Yeah. And we recommend yeah, for the it. cinema. Yes. 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 Uh, it looks so good on a big screen. So you heard it here. Probably not first, but you've heard it here, folks. Um, let us know if you've watched Hungry Ghost Diner or if you have made plans to. If you've watched it already, did you like it? Let us know what you think. You can WhatsApp 018-789-8899, tweet us at BFM Radio and write to us at movies at bfm.my. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.